You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On the fake. Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And uh, we're going to jump right into the show today. We've got a bunch to cover. I'm going to do my best to keep this under 50 minutes. That's my goal. We'll see if we can pull it off. All right. But uh, we've got an email we're going to hit on. I went back, as you guys may have watched, San Francisco absolutely boat race the Seattle Seahawks. No surprise there. Um, the big thing that people talk about with San Francisco is their defense, right? But what a lot of folks are overlooking is their offense. You know, they're grading out as the fourth best offense in the NFL this year. So what I did was went back and, and looked at the Seattle tape, okay? And, you know, understand the game got out of hand in the second half. So what I really tried to key in on were the first 20 calls. You know, typically the openers – they, that's the game plan for the day, right? And you have adjustments as you go along, depending on what the defense does. And I really wanted to get a good sample size of this is the most important game they've played all year long. They have got Mr. Irrelevant playing quarterback. And, and one of the things that kind of provoked this was on Twitter, people saying, we'll see if we have Brock Purdy as our quarterback and not Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you see what he can do in this Shanahan scheme. I'm, you know, guys, we have got to stop pretending that what LaFleur does is the same as San Francisco. Is, is he capable of doing it? Absolutely. The scheme, the terminology is the same. The uh, The principles are the same. The only thing that I noticed different was the run blocking scheme was way more simple in San Francisco, and, and it completely matches up with what we talked about all year long, what Aaron talked about, that things are too complex. We've got to simplify the offense, right? And, and – there's a ton of things that go into that comment, but when you look at the offensive line and how they play in San Francisco, and you look at what we broke down, what Ryan broke down, you know, with his review of the Detroit Lions game, you see a big difference. 
in the simplicity of San Francisco's offense and the complexity of asking offensive linemen to reach points that they absolutely can't in the run blocking game, right? And what's crazy is our running backs have still performed, right? They, they both graded out really well this year. But what has been the one common theme all year long that, that we really couldn't figure out? We're like, how are the running backs grading out so high, but the offensive line's run blocking ability is grading so low? It kind of dawned on us toward the end of the year, and I don't want to put words into Ryan's mouth, but that's the vibe I got when you know with him coming away from the Detroit game. That, and of course, turning the ball over, right? That's one thing that really got swept under the rug. All I've heard is about the Rodgers interception in the fourth quarter. Nobody wants to mention that he was almost eighty percent completion percentage most of the game until the fourth quarter, and then you see the fourth quarter, you know, quote unquote, collapse right in the interception. Guys, the, the play, and we've talked about it all year long, that really turned the tide in that game was Aaron Jones fumbling before halftime. It cost you the middle late, and it cost you the turnover differential, you know, if Rodgers doesn't throw the interception late, right? So, you know, you always remember the last mistake the most, right? But you really got to key in on the things that hit. Now, I'm not suggesting we cut Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, in my opinion, is the best football player on this team. I'm not in that camp of the people going, we need to cap, we need to cap, let's cut him. That's not me. But – Man, it's just amazing how the narratives get drawn, and now all of a sudden Brock Purdy is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. And then you go and, and you watch him play, and guys, he left so many plays on that field. We're going to talk about it. We're going to, you know what? Let's just jump right into it. First, I want to hit on an email though. Um, this email comes in from Andy Monday, and it's just a, just a you know a real quick mention here. Um, Andy's awesome, awesome listener. Love it when he calls in to Packernet After Dark. Just a great guy. Um, he said, Clayton, our youngest son, Daniel, told me his gifted class has been assigned to write a paper on a villain or rogue. I suggested he write about the inventor of turkey bacon. He asked if he could write about George Hallis. I said, no, cheers. <laughs> so love it. First of all, I'm one of those turkey bacon guys, man. I'm about to lose some credibility here. Um, I'm not a big salt person, right? And I do enjoy bacon, but I'll tell you this, man. Um, when you're trying to cut weight, if you can deal with turkey bacon, you can eat that enough of that stuff. You're weighting that stuff. Um, you know, you could eat, you know, 10 pieces of turkey bacon to two of the regular bacon. And boy, less sodium, obviously a ton of less fat. Um, I'm kind of a turkey bacon guy. You know, before my father-in-law passed away, he was living here with us at our place and I would sneak in turkey bacon on his plate, boy, and he he did not like that. <laughs> it was, what is this garbage? He was hilarious, man. He was an old Navy veteran, and, um, man, just what an awesome human being. Um, yeah, so I'm with you on the turkey bacon, and I love the comment on George Hallis, man. I think you, uh, yeah, I think you should let him write about George Hallis. Although George Hallis, in my opinion, you know, he's kind of mis misconstrued um, in the Packer community. He actually did a whole lot for the Packers history and bringing their organization along and, and helping keep them in Green Bay. He's one of the guys who helped fight to help them help keep them in Green Bay. So, uh, but yeah, old Papa Bear, the ultimate villain. All right, let's get into San Francisco's play column. And here's, I know this isn't a, a 49ers podcast, guys, but here's the goal. If we don't break stuff like this down, we don't understand what's going on, and we're just adding to the confusion of, well, they run the same scheme. They do not run the same scheme. It's, a, it's from the same coaching tree. And the best I know to explain it is uh, Kyle Shanahan's dad, right, as he came on 
Mike, I, I can't remember his first name. I think it was Mike Shanahan. Yeah, Mike, I believe it was Mike. Um, with Denver, he was back with San Francisco way back in the day. Goes over to Denver, wins two Super Bowls. He ends up going to Washington for a bit. And in Washington, he brings his son and several other people on his staff, right? And they're all young guys just trying to come up through the coaching ranks. And this is what you call a wide zone boot. He incorporated the zone blocking scheme from Joe Gibbs way back in the day. Okay. And the whole goal there was actually, it was, I think it was Alex Gibbs. Alex Gibbs, Joe's son, helped create the zone blocking scheme, which is funny because he gets kind of credited with, oh, this is that Alex Gibbs zone blocking scheme. Lombardi actually presented, to the best of my knowledge, the very first zone blocking scheme. And he got ridiculed for it because people were like, what do you mean? Just put a hat on a hat. He blocks him, he blocks him, he blocks him. And Lombardi was like, but if we, and, he didn't use these exact words, but in today's terminology, if you got a hat count on one side, why do you want to make somebody peel back and block someone who's completely out of the play? Let's block to a spot. You get a seal here, you get a seal here, and you run the ball to the alley. You guys have heard that sound bot a thousand times, right? So that's kind of how this stuff came about, right? And it, it evolved into what we call the wide zone boot. When you're running these wide zone plays, which is essentially it's a stretch play for the most part. Now, this is not every running game. This is, guys, there's some games that quote-unquote wide zone boot teams don't even run outside but a minimal amount of times in the game because the game plan suggests they have the advantage inside. But essentially, you want to get the defense flowing in one direction, Right and then cut back off of their over-pursuit. That was the original plan. You can go back and watch the old um, Terrell Davis uh, highlights and just see, man, They and you got, you know, Stank and all those guys, all those great offensive linemen. I, I think Baldy might have been on that offensive line too. I'm trying to remember. Had a great offensive line. You get that whole offensive line and defense flowing in one direction, and Terrell Davis will cut right back off a hip pocket, hit the whole, you know, 8 to 12 yards. And it's it's how he rushed for two thousand yards, if I remember correctly. He rushed for two G. So, um, with that being said, right, this the system has evolved over the years. Okay, and you had uh, Kyle Shanahan, right, goes to Atlanta, and he's the offensive coordinator. That was the year that Matt Ryan, I believe, won the MVP, if I remember correctly. On that staff, you had Matt Lafleur. You had Sean McVay. You had all of these guys that you hear about today, right? Uh, I think Taylor might have been on there. Zach Taylor might have been on there. There was a bunch of coaches. But what happens? Sean McVay, or I'm sorry, um, you get Kyle Shanahan gets offered the head coaching job in San Francisco, right? Sean McVay goes to the L.A. Rams. And then, of course, LaFleur ends up in Tennessee. Then Tennessee um, the very next year, Green Bay hires LaFleur because they wanted to implement this wide zone boot. So you got to understand, this is three steps removed from where it started to have success. So over the years, people catch on to these, these offenses, right? You notice that when the Rams won the Super Bowl, Sam Fran was kind of taking a step back offensively. You know, their defense was kind of carrying them. And the reason being is because they split. Sean McVay went to more of a gun and gun RPO with the majority being 11 personnel. I believe the year they won the Super Bowl, they ran more 11 personnel than anyone else in the league. 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Shanahan stuck with the 21 look. 
He run a lot of 21 and 12. What does that mean? Two running backs, one tight end, which is a running back, a fullback, and a tight end. That's a run-heavy formation, right? And you're under center. Now, McVay, I think we could all venture to say that he had success, right? I mean, the guy won a Super Bowl. He went to two Super Bowls, won a Super Bowl. But then what happens? Defenses catch up. The NFL is cyclical. Well, with Shanahan sticking to his guns, that that cyclical nature, it's it's come back around. So now San Francisco has the advantage. Why? Because everybody had to plan to stop the McVay offense. You had Kevin O'Connell go to Minnesota, right? You had, I can never remember his name, but the OC at the time <clears throat> go up to Seattle, right? Both of those teams have had success. You had uh, Zach Taylor. I believe he was with L.A., if I remember correctly. He might have actually been with San Fran. I, I don't have time to pull up all the coaching history, but you had all these guys split, right? And now what you've got is this tree branches off, right? And, and you know, somebody said it on Twitter uh, that kind of came to my defense when we were having a conversation, you know, saying that, that Green Bay runs Kyle Shanahan's offense is like saying Mike Holmgren ran Bill Walsh's. That's not true. Totally. Yes, they're West Coast. But if you watch Bill Walsh's tape and you watch what Mike Holmgren did, especially toward the end of Mike Holmgren's tenure, you can see how these offenses evolved. Andy Reid. Andy Reid spun off of Mike Holmgren and went to Philly. That, That West Coast offense was totally different from what they were doing in Green Bay. They evolved. Now you've got Andy Reid in Kansas City, and that offense is way different than where it started. So that's just how these offenses evolve. So essentially, you had, uh, you know, some of the coordinators, some of the new head coaches, they they bend off and they do their own thing. What you have is McVay and Lafleur went eleven personnel heavy, right? You've got uh, Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco has stayed with the twenty-one look. Well, you've got uh, Mike McDaniel who just went down to Miami and they're playing today in the playoffs. I'm recording this on Sunday. It should go live on Sunday here. They stuck with the Shanahan style, right? So you've got Shanahan, you've got the 49ers and the Dolphins that are running a lot of 21 uh, you know, twenty-one looks, right? They're sticking with that 21 personnel for the most part. Not, not quite as much to the best of my knowledge as San Francisco, but that's essentially which way they went. McVay and LaFleur go 11 personnel, and then you've got in Seattle – Seattle's running a whole lot of spread and a whole lot of empty this year. Why are they doing that? Because their roster is built for that. You've got DK Metcalf. You've got Tyler Lockett. When you spread it out, you've got uh, Walker, the running back in the backfield, right? Um, you, you you know, you've got to play to your strengths. In Cincinnati, I haven't studied too much with, but to me, they seem like a mesh of both. But what do you have in Cincinnati? You've got arguably the best quarterback in the league right now in Joe Burrow, and you've got Jamar Chase, your number one receiver. You've got a great running back in Joe Mixon, right? You've got good balance across the board. Green Bay did not have that in the first half of the season. You can argue that Christian Watson is becoming that. That, that could be the case. But to try to compare these offenses, it's it's not in day. So let's just get into it. What I did was I went and watched the first 20 plays of the San Francisco-Seattle game. And here's what I came away with. I'm going to rattle them off quick, and then I'm going to give you my overall assessment. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about – uh, Purdy compared to Rodgers, okay? First of all, 21 pistol. You have not seen Green Bay run pistol. I promise you that. <laughs> 21 pistol, 12 gun, 21 eye motion, 21 pistol, 
11-gun uh, with the wide receiver in the backfield motioning out. Okay, 11 personnel, wide receiver in the backfield motioning out. You've seen that once or twice this year from Green Bay, but it did not look like the way San Francisco did it, especially coming straight off of a 21-pistol look, right? Uh, and when I say 21-pistol, you've got um, pistol formation, and this is just in case I'm not trying to you know, uh, talk down anybody, but there may be somebody listening to my voice going, I wish I knew what pistol was. Pistol is simply the quarterback um, lines up behind the center in a, in a short shotgun, right, and the running back is directly behind him. So it's it's basically an eye formation, but you don't have a fullback, and the quarterback is in between the halfback and the center. Why is that so important? Because it's so unpredictable. When you come out, it's the same thing as an eye formation. When you come out in an eye formation, especially in my opinion, an eye flex or an a, 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 a twenty eye. I love the twenty eye from way back in the day. Um, you know, I think McCarthy ran it when he first got to Green Bay. It's huge because what you've got is your backs are lined up dead center and there's no tight end throwing the defense off. Now, if you go to a 20 look, meaning there's three wide receivers, then when you go to that 20 look, they have to acknowledge that third receiver. So they put their nickel defense in. You've still got a fullback or a blocking tight end in the backfield in the eye formation. They don't know which direction you're going to go in. And that's why you've seen a lot of those Aaron Rodgers quick hit slants early in his career. That's why I'm a, I'm a big McCarthy fan. I love his offense. He goes to Dallas, picks right up where he left off in Green Bay. He's one of those guys that he's very, very under uh, undervalued. I'm going to tell you, if he pulls off getting a Super Bowl in Dallas, the dude's a Hall of Fame coach. He may be a Hall of Fame coach anyway. Um, that's just my opinion. So, anyway, back. 11-gun wide receiver backfield motion. 11-gun doubles on. 21-gun fullback flex tight end motion. So I want you to think about this. They just showed you a 21 eye formation motion. They showed you a 21 pistol, meaning they had a running back, a fullback, and use check. And I'm sorry, guys, DeGuara is not a fullback. He, he's You watch use check, and then you watch DeGuara. And I, I don't trust PFF very, very much when it comes to H-back play. I just don't know, man. When I watch the tape, I don't necessarily agree with how they're grading it. And both Juszczyk and DeGuara are graded low. But essentially, you watch Juszczyk and how patient he is in his run blocking. And then you watch DeGuara. DeGuara, I don't think, has played horrible this year, but he's darn sure not lived up to be a third-round pick. When you take a, a when you take an, a quote-unquote H-back, and that's exactly what they called him coming out of college, when you take an H-back in the third round, you're expecting big things from him. You're not expecting him to just, ah, you know, if we had somebody else better, we'd start them, but he's just who we got. Let's run him out there, right? You can you can look at the numbers. You can look at the, the run-blocking game. I mean, it's just – yeah, it's so obvious to me. But anyway, you go 21-eye motion, 21-pistol. You go 11-gun with the wide receiver in the backfield, right? And then you come back to 11 doubles on. Like, how do you defend this? Then you go 21. So think about it. They break the huddle with 21. You match it with your, your base 4-3 slash 3-4, whichever scheme you choose to run. And they come out in the 21, and then all of a sudden they go to a gun. You're like, oh, crap, what do we do? So you got they've now got their fullback attached as a tight end. Okay, let's adjust to that, right? Actually, the fullback flexes out. So now the fullback is flexed out off of the line of scrimmage, almost like in a slot look. And then the opposite side, the tight end motion's over, and then you run the ball off of that. Like, the defense is in shambles at this point. Now, I want you to think about what Green Bay does. 11-gun. <laughs> 11 gun doubles on 
right? Or the one that I hate the most is 11-gun tight, where it's like you're basically allowing the defense to go, okay, they're condensed, guys. Let's just get in here tight. Let's get in here tight, and let's force them to throw over the top. And then when they throw over the top, Aaron's just playing hero ball. But anyway, 12-gun twin H motion. I'm going to say it again, 12-gun twin H motion. One running back, two tight ends. Use check was not on the field. One running back, two tight ends. You come out in an a 12-gun twin, meaning the, the wide receivers are on the same side of the field, and then you motion the H out. Like, it, it's so freaking creative, it's not even funny. 12-ace twin. Here's one, 23-I. Two running backs, three tight ends in the I formation. Remember what I said? Hey, our guys are better than you. We're just going to line up and play and not try to outsmart people and not try to ask Zach Tom to get 15 yards across the field to make a key block when there's not even – you know, you're telling him this is the most important part of the block, and then he gets there and there's nobody to block. It's Come on, man. It's, it's, it's so obvious if you just watch the tape. 11-gun slot motion, 21-ace balance, 21-ace fullback flex, 11-gun slot motion, 21-gun twin X motion. So you come out in a 21 look, one running back, one fullback, one tight end, right? You're in a twin set, and then you motion the X receiver across the formation. You notice how none of this is repetitive? Every single look is different. But if you watch the offensive line block, it's such a simple task for every single assignment on that offensive line. 11-gun bunch Z motion. They they pulled that one out of their back pocket. So you basically 11-gun, one running back, one tight end, right? And you've got a bunch set, meaning there's three receivers, the, you know, the tight end and two wide receivers bunched up in kind of a half-diamond shape on one side of the formation. And then you motion the Z across the field into a twin look, right? Here's, here's probably my favorite of the day. <laughs> this is when I went, yeah. People have got to stop saying this is the same offense. 21-I, they motion to offset. And when I watch the play happen, I literally put 21-I motion to offset, meaning they're in the eye, and they did this all game long. They would simply motion the fullback over immediately before the pre-snap. Why is that important? When you come out in the eye formation, remember what I said, you have to protect both sides against the running game. So you come out and you go, okay, they could run right, they could run left. And then he motions right, I mean, a half a second before the play's called. He's got the leverage. They now have the hat count. He's got to jump on the outside, and you should watch check block on the edge, along with Kittle. Kittle was an absolute monster in this game in the blocking game. It was just so smooth, so fluent. It's They knew exactly where to put bodies, and, and the guys knew exactly – how to how to maintain balance and, and positioning and leverage. It's exactly what Mike Wall talked about on our podcast before. That Remember, I asked him, I said, and it's funny that it's coming all the way back to this. I didn't even write this in the notes. It just hit me. I asked him, I said, what do you think is one thing? It doesn't have to be the most important thing, but what's one thing, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about me as a fan and our other fans that are listening to the podcast, because, again, I'm a fan with a podcast. I'm not trying to be a professional media member. I said, what do you think it is that we don't understand? about the game. It could be offensive line. It could be anything. And his answer, and I'm paraphrasing, was, you know, it it's how you get to confrontation. Essentially what he was saying is, you know, how you get to how you have to get to confrontation determines the confrontation. Meaning, did 
did you struggle to get to your point before you made contact with the defender? Were you on time? Were you were you running behind? Were you a little early? It's having that balance, and then when you get to confrontation, having the ability, the body control to handle the confrontation and do your job and understand exactly where that back's going to be, understand where the other blocker adjacent to you is going to be. And that's what you see in the San Francisco offense. It's beautiful. I'm going to ask him about it on Twitter today and say, man, everything that you said to me, I noticed that with check. I noticed that with Kittle, right? I'm sorry, guys. Bob Tunyon isn't doing this. I mentioned earlier in the podcast the fumble before halftime. It cost us the middle late and cost us the turnover differential. Guys, yes, Aaron Jones has got to hold on that football. But what a lot of people missed and what Mike Wall pointed out on his On the Block podcast with Amon Green, if you guys aren't following him on Twitter and, and subscribe to that podcast, you're really missing out, was he pointed out Tunyon on that play. You know, the reason that the ball was vulnerable is because, you know, people were going, he needs to have the ball on the outside arm. Okay, well, he's making a cut, and there's a free defender coming at him to hit him on the left side that he's having to avoid because Tunyon just completely – I want to cuss so bad. He completely just – it was like he had no interest in finishing the block, put hands on his chest and just kind of backed off. Like, you've got to drive that freaking guy into oblivion. You've got to push him eight yards out of bounds. That's what i seen Kittle do. That's what i seen Juszczyk do. Tunyon isn't doing that. Mercedes can do that, yes. But Mercedes is limited in the passing game. So you've got to force Tunyon and DeGuara out there. You, I'm, t- I'm sorry, guys. DeGuara has done good things, and you guys have heard me compliment him. But he looks nothing like Juszczyk. He looks nothing like George Kittle. We have got to get a tight end in this offense. It's probably – I don't want to put I don't want to label, you know, of level of importance, but it's it's absolutely huge in this scheme. If if we're going to go and start to bend in the direction and I hope they do that San Francisco did and get away from the McVeigh style a little bit. If we're going to do that, then I'm telling you we've got to have a tight end. We have got to have a tight end that can block and be a factor in the passing game. I hope Mercedes comes back. I think Mercedes is great. I think that he's that great inline blocker. I think defenses forget about him from time to time. I think I think he's an important asset. If Aaron comes back, I think Mercedes will come back. And if that's the case, then you can't sit there and go, oh, well, we got us a blocking tight end. We're good there. Now we just need a receiving tight end. No, you need to go out and get a Michael Mayer. You need to go out and get uh, somebody in free agency that you go, okay, these this is the guy that can block and catch. You know, it's a totally different scheme, but look at Dawson Knox and the difference he makes in Buffalo. Rob, Bob Tunyon is not a Dawson Knox. Now, I hope Tunyon recovers from the ACL and he returns back to that guy that, that had that straight line speed because that is valuable to a certain extent. But if we're going to bend in the direction of San Francisco, and I think that's what they should do after watching this offense this year, <clears throat> then you've got to get a blocking tight end. You just have to. But, again, this was the play that happened. 21-I, motion to offset. So they did that quick motion to offset where they've been grabbing leverage. And then all of a sudden, Purdy drops back and hammers a slant. And when he hammered the slant, I went, okay, God. And I was like, is that McCaffrey? Guys, the formation was 21-I, motion to offset. Debo Samuel was the tailback, and Christian McCaffrey was the X receiver. So why is that important? Well, okay, well, that means that it should have been – you know, that should have been a 31 look then, right? No, Debo's a receiver. 
The reason personnel matters is and it's a number system that defensive coaches have created over the years. Rather than saying um, three wide receivers, they say 11 personnel. That means one running back, one tight end. Everybody knows all week long, all year long, really. It usually doesn't change during the year unless there's a specific matchup they're trying to exploit. 11 means nickel. 21 means base, meaning you're going to match a defensive look with certain personnel. And that's what that number system is, is personnel, right? So they didn't come out prepared for three running backs, right? Because it was 21 personnel. So 21 personnel, they're in their base. Then they see Debo in the backfield, and they immediately think, oh, crap, they're going to run it with Debo here. Why else would he be in the backfield? So they adjust on defense, ball snapped, hammer a slant to the X receiver. Lo and behold, it's Christian McCaffrey. It's It's beautiful. Now, tell me who's Debo Samuel on our team. Oh, we don't have him? Okay. Tell me when we've ran pistol. Oh, we haven't? Okay. Tell me when we've ran, um, you know, (laughs) go across the board. You know, 21-eye motion. How many times have we run that this year? I'm sorry, man. DeGuar is not a fullback. He's an H-back, yes. But he is not a Kyle Juszczyk. You're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And I'm going to talk about that here in a second. We're going to get to that square peg in a round hole and where I think the disconnect is because, guys, I'm going to break down draft classes, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad. Essentially, we're getting absolutely boat raced in the draft. I'm just going to I'm going to highlight the top five draft classes this year, and it got me thinking. First of all, the study came in because I wanted to see – the PFF grades of college college PFF grades their senior year in conjunction with the players that panned out. And wanted to see, are these PFF grades hitting? I wanted to kind of look at that. That's what triggered this. And by the time I got done with a three-year saturation, 2019 through 2021 Green Bay Packers draft class, I looked up and said, no one, I'm surprised we won as many games as we did this year because we have completely whiffed in the draft. It's horrible. So, again, back to San Francisco, though. Um, to finish it off, 21-eye motion to offset again, 11-gun doubles, and then 11-gun. Um, here's my special notes. They run pistol, which I haven't seen Green Bay do. They run a lot of that I-formation motion, which I haven't seen Green Bay do. Obviously, we don't have a fullback either. You got DeGuara kind of floating around. Sometimes he's half-attached. Sometimes he's you know a yard behind the line of scrimmage in between the guard and the tackle. They do a lot of just wonky stuff. Um and they were flexing McCarthy or McCaffrey while Debo was in the backfield. Again, these are just the first 20 plays. The first 20 plays you've seen this, right? And this is before the blowout happened. And the reason I don't like to chart the blowout, once a team pulls away, guys, they get away from the stuff they love to do because you want to save that. <laughs> you don't want to put that on tape for the next opponent, especially in the playoffs. Now, if it's when I say a blowout, if you're only up by 10 points, that's not a blowout. You stick to the game plan. But as they started to pull away, I'm not going to look at the, the numbers in the mop-up time, okay? Now, um, another big thing, Kittle blocking, you know. San Francisco's offense, guys, they graded out the fourth-best offense in the entire National Football League. They have two halfbacks grading out as a 90-plus, and McCaffrey grades out as an 80-plus. You got Kittle, again, tied in, graded out as an 82.0 this year. You want to hear our tied in PFF grades? I don't think you do, but we're going to anyway. Mercedes Lewis, 65.6. That is your blocking tight end, okay, 65.6. 
Uh, let's see here. Next tight end, we got to go pretty far down. Robert Tunyon, 57.7. These are overall offensive grades. I'm not just nitpicking the run blocking grade of a 46.3 for Tunyon. DeGuara, 57.2 overall. Run blocking grade, 48.2. Tyler Davis, 56.7. He was our best run blocking tight end outside of Mercedes Lewis at a 62.7. And I know everybody loves to hate Tyler Davis. He did he he blocked better than Naguara and Tunyon, according to PFF. And I'm sorry, I don't see anything on tape that I'm like, nah, I disagree with that. Tunyon is hot garbage in blocking. Now, again, I'm not trying to be negative, but this is the time that you've got to identify the problem and fix it. If we continue to march the same people out there at key positions and expect a different result were silly. Now, what's the talk on Twitter? You can't do this with Rodgers. It's all Rodgers. He's the one screwing this up. Love could do this. It's like you guys are missing what's truly wrong with this team. It, yes, Rodgers played, I say bad. He was a top 10 quarterback. <laughs> That's what's crazy. Now, the big conversation last night on Twitter. Well, that's what's missing in uh in in uh, Green Bay is we need Brock Purdy. We don't need Aaron Rodgers. Brock Purdy can run this Shanahan system better than Aaron Rodgers. We are not running the Shanahan system. Yes, he's from the coaching tree, but we are not running San Francisco's offense, guys. We're not. The terminology is the same. There's there's some similarities here and there, but we are not trying to Let me tell you what I didn't see. Last night, I did not see any um, any underneath game with the wide receivers. Not one time did I see where they lined up in a bunch and tried to hit a wide receiver flat in traffic on a short pass. Didn't happen. You know what they did? They ran the freaking football with a simplified blocking scheme, and then they ran play action off of it going down the field, running strike concepts, and my favorite, the crosser. How many times have you seen Green Bay run a crosser this year? The one thing that comes to mind for me is the Christian Watson touchdown against Dallas, one of the three touchdowns, right? It worked. Where was it all year? You know, the Kurt Warner breakdown where everybody, not everybody, but several Rodgers haters was watching the play and, oh, Christian Watson's open. Okay, you, it, Kurt Warner literally on Twitter was like, you, I, I played it here on the podcast. You don't see the safety standing there? If he throws that ball to Christian Watson, that dude's ending up in ICU. What are you talking about? It, 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 we're not playing Madden. Just hit the circle button. He'll get up off the turf. That's crazy. Well, he could have went to Tunyon. No, he couldn't have went to Tunyon because there was a safety over top of him. Why was there a safety over top of him? Because you ran a gun set, three verts on the left with a shallow cross on the right. You might as well have told the defense, hey, look, <laughs> nobody's going to be open here. All you've got to do is stay in your shell. That's the offensive scheme we were running in the most important game of the year. But the answer is, Rodgers is wrong. He should have thrown to Watson. Watson's always open. And he wasn't. Now, what did he look at? Kurt Warner broke it down. There's two safeties on the shelf. The ball is snapped. He looks right. He looks left. When he comes back left, his only option is Lazard if it is a cover two. And that's where you you take the shot. You know what? Well, some people call the whole shot. I call it the bunker shot. You basically, you in, when you're playing against a cover two, I heard this terminology years ago. When you're playing against a cover two, there's three weak spots. There is 
a base down the middle, unless they're in Tampa, meaning the safety split, you can hammer the seam, right? Or you can hit the whole shot, which I call the bunker. You've got two bunkers on the sidelines. So as the corners drop back, you've got a space, a tight window in between the safety and the corner. They're playing underneath the zone. Uh, the two safeties are playing too deep, you know, halves down the field. Those are the bunker shots. you got the bunker in the base, right? The problem is when Aaron goes back to that read and he's ready to hammer it to Lazard, what happens? The corner just faded back. He played more of a sink. He he followed Lazard down the field, so it wasn't there. Aaron threw it away. There's, there's people on Twitter going, God, he missed on that throw. If you think he was trying to thread the needle Lazard on that field, on that play and not throw it away, I can't help you. I'm sorry. I can't. And that's what Kurt Warner pointed. That's a throwaway. What are you talking about? So he read the defense. What was the problem? Let's get to the point. Why did it not work? It didn't work because the shallow cross. What? Why didn't you throw to the shallow cross? Because it was covered up. Who was the only option on the play? Uh, Aaron Jones in the flat. Aaron Jones in the flat, absolutely. Uh, you know, after you realize the corner has sunk now. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So essentially, you've got something they didn't show on tape in the preparation. If you had had the X rather than run a shallow, run a deep route, you know, just a go route, just a nine route, a fade, whatever, even somewhat of a post as long as it doesn't interfere with Tunyon. Yes, you can hammer it to Tunyon because guess what happens? That X occupies that safety and that gives Aaron the safety to throw the ball to Tunyon without getting his head taken off. Same to Christian Watson to a certain extent, depending on how they would have rotated on that play. Like, these are the things people don't think about, but it's just Aaron Rodgers' fault. This is why he's frustrated. That that play makes no sense whatsoever in that situation. You, you thought they were going to play cover two, and essentially this is what I was talking about with Kyle Wharton in Chicago way back in the day. I would watch him play. I'm like, God, I feel sorry for this guy. There is nobody open on that play. There's nothing he can do because of the route combination. So essentially, you can't. If he attacks, they turned it into a cover three defense when what they thought was going to be a cover two. And when you're running a a cover three defense, 
and on one side of the field, the only option is a shallow cross, guess what the guys on zone can do on that side? There is no threat to them whatsoever. They can bite up on that shallow cross. What do you end up with? A late hesitation, a pump fake, and a throwaway. It ain't Madden. You can't just survey the entire field and go, there's X, he's open, throw it to X. There's reads and progressions that take place. I challenge everybody to go watch that full video. It's like eight minutes long that Kurt Warner put out there. But again, Brock Purdy is the answer, right? Brock Purdy last night only completed 60% of his passes, okay? Not horrible, right? I mean, you get in the 50s, that's bad. At one point, it was way down there in the 50s, right? He missed receiver after receiver after receiver last night. Well, how did they win so much? How, how did they win so bad, right? How did they pull it off? I'll tell you how. Christian McCaffrey averaged 7.9 yards a carry on 15 touches. Debo Samuel averaged 10 yards a carry on three touches, right? And I'm not talking to – I'll tell you something else you didn't see. There wasn't not one jet sweep in that sequence that I've seen, not one. How many times do you see jet sweeps in Green Bay's offense? It is constant. Now, I heard somebody the other day talking about the Patriots. If I see one more jet sweep, I swear I'm going to throw my remote at the TV. Guys, the jet sweep has been caught on. Like pe Defenses have caught up. If you've got a burner like Christian Watson, hey, absolutely, man. You get, you get the look you want to you turn that thing loose. It worked early in the year, didn't it? When was the last time it worked? I said on the pregame show, my prediction was I think Christian Watson gets an end around. I think you, we haven't seen it in a while. They play a lot of man coverage. I think you're going to see the end around. Guess what Detroit did? They came out and played zone. They out-schemed a scheme-heavy coach in Matt LaFleur because that's what he is. Mike Wall said that the other day as well. You've got scheme coaches and you've got developmental coaches. Mike McCarthy was a developmental coach. He'll never get credit for developing Aaron Rodgers, but that's exactly what he did. He developed Aaron Rodgers. Mike McCarthy did for however many years, riding the pine behind a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, it all makes sense to me now. And I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to add bodies in the front office. You need to add bodies in the coaching room. You need to bring in people that are developmental. And I'm not saying you should replace LaFleur. If LaFleur is great at scheming, he hasn't proven it to me this year. He refused to adjust all year long. Now, there's a lot of things that come into play. Aaron Rodgers had a broken thumb. His accuracy was off, although he did finish the year uh, with his exact career average of 65% completion percentage. Brock Purdy, 60% in this game. Aaron Rodgers, the entire year, 65%. But Brock Purdy, Purdy's the answer. If you think Brock Purdy is more accurate passer than Aaron Rodgers, you have lost your freaking mind. It, it's insane. People just regurgitate what they hear. And all I'm trying to do is, please, just stop. Stop for a second and just go look at the tape. Go do the research yourself. Don't take my word for it. This is what's going on on the field. And, and people want to play into that narrative. It's just Aaron Rodgers washed up. You put Aaron Rodgers in this San Francisco team right now, guys, with Brandon Ayuk, I'm going to read off these grades. Trent Williams, left tackle, 93 PFF grade. Jordan Mason, only 82 touches, but still halfback, 92.3 grade. Elijah Mitchell, 90.6 PFF grade. George Kittle, 82 PFF grade. Christian McCaffrey, 80.5 PFF grade. Brandon Ayuk, 80.3 PFF grade. Debo Samuel, you've seen what he can do, and he's only grading out as a 72.4. He's having a down year. And look at what he did yesterday.
You put Aaron Rodgers in that roster with that actual scheme, bro. And it, it's isn't it hilarious? The argument always comes back to well, this is what Aaron wanted. Aaron's the one changing the plays. Aaron's calling the plays. Okay. And when the play doesn't work, he's walking to the sidelines going, what the F was that? So I guess he's he's telling the floor, bad play call. You need to tell me I made a bad play call. Like, if Aaron's calling the plays, why is he walking to the sideline frustrated at the play call? And isn't it funny when people get mad at him complaining about the play call, they're complaining about the play call too. They just don't think Aaron Rodgers should have the right to say something. It's crazy. I'm not about kissing Aaron Rodgers' rear end or Matt LaFleur's or Brian Gutekunst. I'm about fixing the problem. And the problem is there's so much disconnect across the board. LaFleur is trying to – he's trying to run this McVeigh system, right, and defenses have caught up. You've got a general manager who's trying to fill a void, and he doesn't even have any experience with the McVeigh slash Shanahan system. None. His whole career – Goody was brought up in the West Coast spread. That's where the disconnect is. That's what I'm seeing. So let's move on to draft class real quick. And there is no way I'm keeping it under 50 minutes, man. But hopefully, again, we kind of went through and showed you, all right, here's what's going on. Here's what we're seeing on tape. Please, guys, put to bed. We do not run San Francisco's offense, okay? Please help spread the word because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing having our fans go out there and say these things and anybody who has 10 minutes to watch the highlights can see, yeah, no, that's not what Green Bay does. So there's that. Let's move on to draft class. And this one's going to hurt. I'm going to go ahead and prepare you. Again, we got to acknowledge what's wrong if we're going to fix it, okay? So what I did was I went back and I wanted to study and say, okay, college PFF grade-wise, how does it coincide with – how players play at the in, at the NFL level. Basically, what I did was I took every draft pick and I found their their final year in college, their PFF grade that year. Okay, and then I you know tried to determine were they a hit or a bust. I ended up forgetting. I mean, I put all the PFF grades down, but I was so I was so devastated by the time I got finished at how many picks we missed on that it blew my mind. So we're going to go right down the line here, okay? 2019's draft class. Rashawn Gary, that's a hit. Elton Jenkins, that's a hit. Well, we're off to a good start, right? Jace Sternberger, miss. He's been cut, not on the team. Kingsley Kiki, he's been cut. Kadar Holman, he's been cut. Dexter Williams, he's been cut. Ty Summers, he's been cut. So you hit on two in the 2019 draft class. You know, two out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven picks – that's not bad. That's not bad. That's a pretty good hit rate, right? Let's move on to 2020. Keep in mind, that was the year um, that Matt LaFleur came in, right? 2019, am I thinking right? Yeah, 2019, I believe, was his first year. So that was the draft class for LaFleur's first year. So keep in mind, Goody's been in a West Coast spread offense his entire career, and now we're going to a West Coast-based wide zone boot, right? And this is what Michael Lombardi has talked about so much. Michael Lombardi has talked about over and over and over. He said, coaches coaches have GMs that haven't been embedded into a system. They haven't been brought up in the same system. Therefore, a GM's trying to scout talent for something totally different than what the coach is used to seeing. And the coach ain't going to say anything to the GM because nine times out of ten, the GM is the coach's, job, coach's boss, right? 
Now, of course, the owner can fire a GM and keep a head coach, but most of the time a general manager is hired and they hire the head coach. In this case, it sounds like Mark Murphy made the hire and Brian Gutekinds wasn't so much involved, although he was involved a little bit, right? But that's Michael Lombardi that said that, not me. That's not just some some Green Bay Packer fan that thinks he knows what he's talking about. That's a guy who's been around the game of football his entire career, his entire life. Worked under Bill Walsh, Al Davis, Bill Belichick, on and on and on and on, right? Goody was raised in that West Coast spread, and now he's trying to select talent for a wide zone boot, right? Now, why is the offense struggling? I'm going to tell you right now, that's not helping. (laughs) It's not helping when a GM doesn't have the experience in that kind of system, right? Okay, well, a coach should be able to develop. Yeah, if they're a developmental coach, again, not Clayton, the Green Bay Packer fan, but Mike Wall, the former 11-year vet, I believe he played in the league, pro bowler in uh, 2005, offensive lineman, he's the one <laughs> saying this stuff. That that LaFleur is not a developmental coach, he's a scheme coach. Like, you see how the pieces are coming together and how we're understanding, okay, here's what's wrong with the offense. Guys, the people who say that we're just running Aaron Rodgers' offense, they're lying. That's what they're doing. They're lying. When he came in in 2019, what was the big talk? That they were going to run a hybrid version of McCarthy slash LaFleur's offense. What happened? You come out and won 13 games. You did it again in 2020. What happened? You won 13 games and won an MVP. You did it again in 2021. What happened? You won 13 games and won an MVP. Now, this year, you're molding into more of the LaFleur scheme, right? And what did Aaron say in the post uh, in the preseason, in the interview? I mean, it came right out of his mouth. I've told Matt, the scheme is flawed. The system is flawed. What happens? They take a huge step back. Oh, yeah, and not to mention you lose the best wide receiver in the game, right? And you have an offensive line that's constantly rotating, trying to find the best five. The fact that you thought Royce Newman was the answer on the right side of the line and it took you till a quarter of the way through the season or however long it did to figure that out, that's on the coaching staff. Sorry. The fact that Amari Rodgers was returning kicks, and this isn't a knock on Amari. He was put in a horrible situation. I felt bad for him all year. It was obvious to anyone watching, this guy cannot do this job. This is not what he does well, right? And then all of a sudden, you plug Keyshawn Nixon, who was begging for the spot, and he becomes the AP kick returner of the year, and you didn't figure that out in camp? That's on the coaching staff. That doesn't have a damn thing to do with Aaron Rodgers. It blows my mind, man. Like, so, yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing. Let's go back to the uh, the draft class. Rashawn Gary hit, Elton Jenkins hit, Sternberger miss, Kiki miss, Holman miss, Williams miss, Summers miss. You got two out of seven, okay? Two out of seven, I'm going to mark that down. Let's move on to 2020. You're now in the second year of LaFleur being here, right? And they're going to start trying to get these players in here so they can shift into the LaFleur system because they're still running a hybrid McCarthy system. Devontae Adams is still here, right? What did you do your first pick? You went out and drafted Jordan Love. Okay, got it. I've got a question mark. I don't know if Jordan Love is a hit or a miss. I don't. He's lacking playing time, so we're just going to leave that one alone. Um, halfback A.J. Dillon, that's a hit. 
right? So you're good, right? I mean, when you say a, a hit, like he obviously isn't a superstar, but I mean, he's been a solid player. He's been he's been a great player. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the record and say he's been a great player. This year he graded out 81.4. That's a hit. I'm not gonna try to talk myself out of it. That is an absolute hit. Josiah Deguara, he has underperformed, and anyone who tells you otherwise is kidding themselves. I want Deguara to work. I was so excited about seeing Shanahan and all this motion and everything, and I I wanted to see him play that use check role. Guys, we are not running Shanahan's offense. We're running McVay's, and we can change that this offseason. I pray to sweet baby Jesus they do. But DeGuara miss, in my opinion. Kamal Martin, he's been cut. Uh, John Runyon, he's underperformed. People go, oh, John Runyon had a good year. I heard people talking about it. Okay, let's go down here and find John Runyon. John Runyon, 62.6. But I thought he had a better PFF grade. Yeah, he has a 77 pass blocking grade, right? 77. What's his run blocking grade? 53.6. Now, do you want to blame that on the scheme? And what we talked about, what Ryan identified, how these offensive linemen are being asked to do things they can't do, and also it just it's a jumbled mess. The defense is one step ahead of them. That could be the case. The run-blocking grades were down all the way across the board for the most part. I mean, David Bakhtiari is our best offensive lineman. He ended up finishing the year at a 79.8, had an 87.8 elite pass-blocking grade, right? That's great in the West Coast offense. That don't mean a hill of freaking beans if you're going to run a wide zone boot, especially one of the McVay nature. Run blocking grade, 68.5 for David Bakhtiari. So, there you go. John Runyon, 53.6 run blocking grade. Yeah, he's a miss. I can't put him as a hit. I'm sorry. Um, Jake Hansen, he's been cut. Stepaniak, he's been cut. Vernon Scott has not got play in time, so I got a question mark. I'm not going to call it a miss. We're calling it a question mark. Uh, Jonathan Garvin hasn't got much play in time. Um, We're going to call it a question mark. So in the 2020 draft, you had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine swings, and you hit on one player. So you got one out of nine with three still in the air. They've been on the roster for 2020, 2021, and 2022, and we still don't know if they could be a starting caliber player. Now, you can argue, well, they're on the roster. Isn't that a hit? No, I'm sorry. If you want to keep playing to the minimums, then don't complain that the team is so bad. Because teams like San Francisco, teams like Seattle, are knocking it out of the freaking part. And I'm going to read the top five draft classes in just a second before we get out of here. Let's go to 2021. Eric Stokes. Miss. I don't care what anybody says. Eric Stokes was hurt this year. I got it. Last year, his rookie year, he finished in the 60s in PFF, and we and I was one of them leading the charge going, man, typically when you finish in the 60s, you kind of take a step forward. Guys, this defense got way better when he went out of the lineup, and I'm not saying I'm glad he got hurt. I don't wish injury on anybody, but the facts are the facts. When he left the lineup, the DB started playing better. That's a fact. So Eric Stokes missed. That's a first-round pick. Josh Myers underperformed, no doubt about it. I was leaning towards, man, I don't know. There's things that he does well. Once again, um, if you go down and look at his PFF grade, his pass blocking grade's a 74.3. It's not bad, right? Run blocking grade, 53.5. Hit pause. Forget what the idiot redneck fan from Tennessee thinks, right? What did Mike Wall say? Mike Wall said unequivocally, I think it was on Andy Herman's podcast, he 100% has regressed and taken a step back. That's a miss, guys. That's a second-round pick on a center that was a freaking miss. Um, Third-round pick, Amari Rogers, cut. 
Uh, not only was he cut, but he lost us multiple ball games trying to force him into a role that he could not do in being a kick returner. Um, Royce Newman benched. I'd say that's a miss, wouldn't you? T.J. Slayton, he's definitely underperformed. He showed a little bit of flash here toward the end of the year, but if you go to T.J. Slayton on the year, um, let's see, I don't have the defense pulled up. Let me go pull it up real quick. I'm going to try not to waste too much time here, but I definitely want to see where T.J. Slayton finished. Uh, here, give me just one second. Bear with me. i got to pull this up. Thought I had the defense stats pulled up, and I did not, so we're almost there. Let's go. Team reports, defense. All right, T.J. Slayton. Daryl Slayton, 61.7. Tackle grade, 34.0. 34.0. Run defense grade, 61.9. T.J. Slayton's a miss. Sorry. He is. And does the tape show me otherwise? Absolutely it doesn't. He had one or two good games this year is what I've seen. That's a miss. Um, Shamar Jean Charles has not got playing time, which really surprised me. Shamar Jean Charles had an 83.8 PFF grade um, in college. Now you're sitting there going, yeah, but who are you going to start him over? I'll tell you who I would start him over. I would, I would give him a shot over Stokes, at least give him an opportunity. But that's a first-round pick. You don't want that sitting on the bench. Guys, the great front offices, it, they accept and acknowledge when they've made a mistake. The only thing worse than making a bad draft pick is trying to convince yourself it was a good draft pick for too long. Now, he may come out healthy next year, a lot on fire. I pray that he does. You notice I said the same exact thing about Savage last offseason and what happened. He came out and played horrible at safety, worse than he did the year before. Now, you put him in the slot, you see a little bit of you know positive there, I guess you could say. If you go down here, Savage, overall defensive grade for the year, though, 47.5. My guess is Stokes will probably keep in the same trend. Hope I'm wrong, but that's what it's looking like. So TJ Slayton missed. Shamar Jean Charles, lack of playing time, still up in the air. Uh, Cole Van Lannon, he's been cut. Isaiah McDuffie is a special teamer. I can't call that a hit because, you know, he hasn't cracked the starting lineup, right? Like he's contributed as a backup, I guess, and he was a late round pick. Um, I'm going to put a question mark there. I'm not going to put an X. I'm going to be lenient here. And then Kylan Hill, of course, has been cut. So in 2021, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine draft picks. And you had zero hits in 2021 as of right now. I'm not going to break down 2022, right? Because uh, it's still early. And I don't want to be that guy that expects rookies to just come out and light it on fire. You know, you guys have heard me. I've been very lenient with Quay Walker. The only time I push back is when people go, no, Quay's a great defender. His PFF grade's a 51.9. Like, I mean, it, <laughs> I'm sorry. He's. I think he has the raw talent and ability to be a great defender, yes. But anyone who says they've seen that this year, they're kidding themselves. But he, he had all those tackles. Remember? when Roquan Smith was on the Bears and he was grading out really high on PFF or, you know, was grading out horrible on PFF, but he had a bunch of tackles. And all of the same Packer fans that were running around screaming, Roquan Smith, uh, no, he just he just got tackle stats. He's horrible. He's a horrible player. Quay Walker has pretty much been the same thing that Roquan has been, a freak of nature, sideline to sideline speed, horrible PFF grade. 
Like, I hope he pans out. But right now, again, I'm not even touching the 2022 class. I shouldn't have even talked about it because I want to give Quay Walker time to develop. One year isn't enough. We went 2019, 2020, and 2021. Out of all those, here is our total, guys. Um, let's see here how many draft picks that is. For quick math, that's 16. 25 draft picks to the best of my knowledge. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five. I think that's right. And we've only hit on three players. So in the last three draft classes, right, the last three draft classes, 2019, 2020, 2021, excluding the rookies from this last year, we've hit on three draft picks. Three, guys. Three draft picks we've hit on. Now, let's hop over to ranking the top draft classes this year. All right? And I think this is important. It's going to hurt. According to NFL.com, you can take it with a grain of salt, um, the New York Jets had the top draft classes. Sauce Gardner lit the league on fire this year. Garrett Wilson was most likely the best the best rookie receiver this year. Brees Hall was a hit. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, solid contributions, right? On and on and on. Number two, Seattle. Seattle, I think they said, started five rookies this year. Five, consistently. Meaning they have five hits on rookies this year. You had Abraham Lewis, right? Um, let's just read this article real quick on Seattle because they kind of been the darling. It turns out head coach Pete Carroll and general manager John Schneider um, may know what they're doing when building a roster. The Seahawks have drafted and developed a rookie class that has helped propel the team into the playoff picture this season and could pave the way for even bigger things to come. The offense has trotted out a pair of rookie tackles. Charles Cross drafted ninth overall and Abraham Lucas drafted 72nd. Guys, we have David Bakhtiari as our left tackle, arguably the best left tackle in the game. And we it took us almost half the season to settle in on a right tackle. And the very final game of the season, we bench Yash to put in Zach Tom, a rookie, because we still hadn't figured it out. So we can sit here and dog Seattle all we want. I hate them as much as any other Packer fan. But they went out in one draft class and got two starting tackles and fixed the freaking problem, and they were in the playoffs. Granted, they got boat raced by the Niners, but they made the freaking playoffs. They have one of the top offenses in the league, according to PPP, the entire year. Geno Smith early in the year was an MVP candidate. Geno Smith. Why is that? Because they hit on two rookie tackles that stabilized their offensive line. Kenneth Walker in round three. He's probably going to be the offensive rookie of the year this year. They drafted him this year. Um, defensively, the Seahawks found a set of young corners, Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. Uh, Woolen was in round five. Kobe Bryant was in round four, who might have been able to play on an island with the Legion of, uh, Legion of Boom. Um, Woolen is supersized uh, cover corner who has blanketed receivers on the perimeter while also showcasing impressive instincts and ball skills as evidenced by the six interceptions through 14 games. He played 14 games and has six picks. We're talking about Jair Alexander and, and you know, what he, what he finished with, five picks, right? This is a rookie wide receiver from the fifth round that went off. Like the Jets' Gardner, Woolen earned Pro Bowl recognition right out of the gate Bryant has specialized in locking down wide receiver number threes as an inside-out cover man. So as the Seahawks work, uh, Boye Mafe, round two, uh, number 40 pick, into the mix as a pass rush specialist, the rookie class is driving the bus in the team's playoff push this season.
So let's read it off here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six potential hits, five definite hits. They hit in one draft class, and we've hit in three in the last three years. But it's Aaron Rodgers' fault. But they're just blaming everybody else. Aaron Rodgers did not play like Aaron Rodgers this year. We've said it a thousand times. We don't know if it's the thumb. We don't know if it was the rib cartilage. We don't know if it was the knee he tweaked. We don't know if it was the cliff. It may very well have been the cliff. But even with the cliff, he graded out as a 77 on PFF. He graded out higher than Brock Purdy, who Packer fans want to replace him with now. His completion percentage was 5% higher than Brock Purdy's uh, in this playoff game here. I don't know what his completion percentage is on the year. It's just I took the one game where the the haters were on Twitter going, hey, see, Aaron Rodgers can't do this. Aaron Rodgers did better than that all year long this specific game. And you're trying to trying to say this one specific game is a reason that Brock Purdy would be a better quarterback in a different system, although you have convinced yourself it's the same system, and you're going to replace a four-time MVP, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, all-time, all-world quarterback with a guy uh, because you're upset that the, the team had a bad year, right? So the point I wanted to make, guys, the draft classes got really crappy, didn't they? What happened? We've always drafted well. 2019, you hit two, right? Then you hit one in 2020. Then you don't hit any in 2021. What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. It's caught up to Matt LaFleur and Brian, Brian Gutekunst. You're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole like Michael Lombardi's talking about. You've got a GM that was brought up in a West Coast spread offense, and you've got a coach who doesn't know what kind of offense he wants to run because he's seen Shanahan do it in the early going, McVay have success later, and now he's stuck somewhere in between. If you're smart, you go with the trends and you adjust. I'll never forget McVay meeting Bill Belichick at the 50-yard line during that Super Bowl and go, man, I've got so much respect for you, Coach. The way that you adjust week in and week out to what the other team's weaknesses is is amazing. Bill Belichick doesn't do this year to year, which is all we're asking LaFleur to do is adjust now and go to the trend, right? We're not – Bill Belichick does this week to week. Bill Parcell said it best. I'm going to wrap it up here. He said, Bill Belichick, what he does so good, he has uh, an, an inapt ability, just this unique ability to, to have this endless pool of players that he can pluck players out of and they fit right into his system. Do you know why? Because he drafts players that are smart and are flexible, players that he sees something in them. It was passed down to him from his dad and his old scouting system back at the college ranks that give me players that can do everything decent over a player that can do really one thing, one, one thing really good. And then let's make sure that we can schematically adjust on the fly. That's how you stay relevant in this league. It is. So I just thought it'd be a cool exercise. It's funny. I was just seeking out college PFF grades to help me form, uh, you know, create my uh, my draft uh, analysis, my draft uh, formula for this year because I wanted to do a little bit of adjusting and try to fine-tune it. And I uncovered that, and my jaw hit the floor. Like, 
If you disagree on some of these picks, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter and an email. I would love to hear your uh, opinion. You may be able to persuade me. You may be able to go, hey, yeah, I, I see your point there. Maybe that is a hit. Let's say I missed three of them. Let's say I missed on three, meaning there's three other players that should have been added to the hit list. Let's say that's the case. Then that means that in three years of drafting between 2019 and 2021, we hit on the same amount of draft picks as Seattle hit in one draft class. So we got to start ident- we got to start acknowledging the problem before we can fix it, guys. I just want to point that out. That's my opinion. You don't have to agree with it, but I thought I'd put that together. Hopefully, it was concise enough for you. Uh, the the two things I wanted to accomplish today was. I wanted to show you San Francisco and Green Bay do not run the same system. we got to stop pretending that. I hope they do next year. I hope they adjust, but that's not what's going on. Um, and I wanted to point out that the draft class is just how bad they were as soon as LaFleur came on. I think you've got a square peg and a round hole there. Now, what's the answer? I don't want to just be doom and gloom. I, I do not want to be one of those fans. The answer is you've got to find old experts, old football heads that can bridge the gap. If I'm Brian Gudikins and Matt LaFleur, I'm sitting down in the meeting. I'm going, okay, which direction are we going, Matt? If the answer is we're going to keep going, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. I think we're close. If I'm Goody and I'm Mark Murphy, I'm going, no, we're not, Matt. Something's got to change. Like, Devontae Adams is not walking back through that door so him and Aaron can bail you out on the fly because that's exactly what happened those two MVP years. Go back and watch the tape. Go back and watch the tape. Dusty Evely said it best the other day on Twitter. Go back and see how many times on the fly Aaron comes to a backside slant to Devontae Adams because nothing else was going to work in that play. He could see pre-snap. It's a real thing. But they've got to get together and go, okay, which which direction are we going? Hopefully Matt says, you know what? we got the terminology, the foundation, everything's in place. Let's shift to a more of a 49ers-style offense. If that's the case, then the first thing they need to do is go find two senior assistants. I don't care how much money they want. Green Bay's got the extra cash laying around, and there's no salary cap on extra hands and coaches in the front office. And you need to find two player personnel people that can work with Goody on finding the right talent to fit this 49ers-style wide zone boot, if that's what you're going to shift to. But it's going to be interesting. going to be interesting. I think you bring Nathaniel Hackett in, that could help because Nathaniel Hackett definitely did good things with Green Bay. But um, that would be the starting point for me. So hopefully that helps. Um, really appreciate you guys taking time to uh, to hang out with us today, man. This is the tough part about being a fan in the offseason, but you've got to dig in. You've got Guys, it's taken me hours upon hours to figure out what I think the problem is. This is what I'm coming up with. So appreciate your time. Um, hope you guys have an awesome Sunday afternoon. The playoff football is going to be great today. We're going to get this to drop hopefully around noon central time. So um, if worst case scenario, you can listen to this on Monday uh, during the workday. If, if you are listening on Monday, hope you guys have an awesome, awesome day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.